Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is where food lovers knowledge and delicious inspiration is served up every weekend. And I hope you'll take a seat at the table with me. I love food. I love eating it and looking at it and reading and writing about it, creating it, sharing it, and talking about it, especially here on the radio. If you love to cook or just love to eat, well, I like to say we can definitely be friends. And this is your show because I'm delivering deliciousness every weekend. So mark your calendar and be sure to tune in. If you happen to have missed a show, please don't worry. My podcasts are posted on iTunes and you can find a direct link at chefjamie.com where I'm always serving up seconds with an arsenal of recipes to fill every day with fabulous flavor. You'll find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope that you will become a friend and a fan because I encourage everyone to eat delicious, quick, easy cuisine that comes alive with flavor. And so I'm arming you with the knowledge that you need here. I hope that this weekend finds you healthy and well, that you're wearing a mask. And if you have a little bit of culinary fatigue, I get it. We've been cooking at home and running the dishwasher so much, right, over the past year that maybe you're in need of a little inspiration. Well, let me set the table for you because we have two grand guests coming up this hour that I think will definitely make you salivate uh, and definitely satiate your appetite too, which is the goal, right? Well, first and foremost... Let's talk tofu, shall we? Because journalist and photographer Camille Auger is stopping by. Her native France, not keen on tofu, but her extensive travels in Asia, an extraordinary education for her. It is the most valuable, comprehensive tofu cookbook ever released, and Camille will be here to dish. But first, in just a little bit, and quite a coup, by the way, I was able to sit down and dish with Chef Annalise Gregory, one of the most talked about young chefs in Australia today. Well, more specifically, her experience living in Tasmania, uh, finding the meaning of life that she craved, cherishing her time in nature, and absolutely appreciating the beauty of the cuisine that the land has to offer. Wait till you hear about her new hit cookbook entitled How Wild Things Are. She is a fascinating, strong, smart, bold, extraordinary female chef. And again, quite something to have her on the radio. So please don't touch your dial. But first... I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts, one to make you the best cook you know, to arm you with gastronomic knowledge. And by the way, Hasselback is back. <laughs> That's right. And everywhere. So let's talk the Hasselback potato for a moment, shall we? Clearly the most impressive spud to ever call itself a side dish. Um, they also sometimes go under the name accordion potato, right? Whatever you call it though, the result is the same. It's a, a single potato 
sliced into thin wedges, but left uh, adjoined at the bottom, right? So it's still intact, but it has all these lovely slivers for air and heat and flavor to get into. And you bake it until the layers fan out and these rounds of potato become crispy bliss, right? Now the slits allow for butter or spices or toppings to seep in between each slice. It's like having all of your potato dreams come true at once. And if you're not making Hasselback potatoes, it's really super simple and it elevates the standard baked potato for that matter. It's like the crispy edges of your favorite French fries, but the creamy middle of mashed potatoes. So if you want to be a culinary hero, you should Hasselback. Uh, they're a quick side dish for dinner, but it's a really elegant presentation. So as we start to entertain again and dinner parties come about, maybe outside socially distanced, however it is, I can't wait to socialize again. I think Hasselback is ultra impressive. Now, despite its fancy pants appearance, Hasselback takes very little time. I mean, not much more effort than your average foil wrap baked potato. And you can Hasselback many a fruit or vegetable, right? So Apples cut in Hasselback fashion are decadent, brushed with butter, sprinkled with cinnamon, sugar, and baked. Squash, like butternut, let's say, uh, drizzled with chipotle honey, roasted in Hasselback style, really delicious. Sweet potatoes too. Um, you can even Hasselback a chicken breast, stuff it with uh, borsan or herbed cream cheese. Not so bad. And then when the recipe, of course, for Hasselback becomes a viral hit on the internet, well, then you see that everything can be Hasselbacked. But let's start with a Hasselback potato because I think it's worth the fuss. So we can thank the Swedes for this culinary phenomenon. The Hasselback potato is actually named for the hotel in Stockholm where the slicing treatment was invented in the 1950s. And the original recipe uh, wrapped the spud in bacon. Now, I'm all for that too, uh, but uh, let's start with that truly fabulous flavor. You start with a few potatoes. Any potato will do. I love a Yukon Gold. You can use a russet, a red potato, uh, anything that you can get nice, thin, horizontal uh, sliver, uh, excuse me, vertical slivers, of course. Now, uh, where horizontal comes in, and I get ahead of myself because I'm drooling already, is I like to get a thin horizontal sliver off the bottom of any potato you choose to use so that it rests flat on the baking sheet. And then the key to a great Hasselback potato is your knife skills, of course. You slice straight down, but you stop just short of cutting all the way through. And you want to make your slices as thin or thick as you like. I think that quarter-inch slices are perfect to get the benefits of the method itself. And they're feasible no matter your expertise with a knife. And you place these Hasselbacked potatoes on a baking sheet. Then next comes the butter or the olive oil or any fat or mix of fats that you love. I mix butter and olive oil for richness and flavor. Um, I've tried duck fat. You can do chicken fat too. You don't need much. Just enough to uh, brush in between the layers. Stick that, you know, um, that baking brush in there. And then uh, I like to brush the outside of the potato again and sometimes halfway through baking too. And when you cut the potato, 
you really sort of want to stuff the butter or the flavorings into the slivers. Note the potatoes will start to fan out about halfway through the cooking process. So you can actually coax some more butter or flavor or herbs or goodness or pesto or Parmesan, need I go on, into the nooks and crannies so that you get that second coating ensuring delicious perfection. Now, Shredded cheese, minced herbs, crumbled bacon. That sounds delicious right now. Um, But you can start with the basic and move up from there. And if you haven't hasselbacked potatoes before, you will see what all the buzz is about. You end up with the most stylish baked potato on the block, really. Now, when it comes to fruits and vegetables, try zucchini. You could do onions. Apples, I mentioned. Pears, for sure. You can even hasselback a muffin in the morning Cut it a little thicker, of course, and put some beautiful honey butter in between and then warm it up. That sounds good. You can scream out Hasselback after you do that. Um, I've seen everything from a pepperoni pizza baked potato in Hasselback form rather, to caramelized onions and goat cheese for the gourmets. And I will say, uh, it is exceptionally delicious and beautifully fabulous and so worth a try. I will post my best Hasselback recipes uh, and also my Hasselback beauties on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram once again at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I hope you will too. You can always email me if you're looking for recipes, Jamie, J A M I E at chefjamie.com. All right, coming up, the ever extraordinary, brave, bold, and fabulous Chef Annalise Gregory, live from Tasmania. You will not want to miss it. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, please don't touch your dial. Be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Can you feel the excitement? Can you hear it in my voice? This is called a coup, the literal definition. Because when I say we have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show, I mean it. There is a new book release uh, on its way to New York Times bestseller, All a Buzz. The world is talking about it, in fact. The world is talking about Annalise Gregory, one of uh, the young chefs in Australia today uh, with a string of enviable professional credits to her name. It's the food world that is abuzz about Annalise because her background includes the Leadbury, Michel Bras, and Sydney's Key. 
In 2017, though, she moved to Tasmania, where she was at the helm of the state's most acclaimed restaurant, Franklin in Hobart. And then the pandemic happened. Today, she spends her days cooking and hunting and foraging and discovering. And Tasmania, she says, has given her a semblance of meaning and the life that she craved. And she's cherishing her time in nature, connecting with the people whose life work is to grow our food. And she is the most passionate, dedicated, inspiring, fascinating chef you might ever hear from. To read about her phenomenal talent, her dedication to gastronomy. And she is here to share her story, her insight, and her teachings. And I am humbled and I am grateful. The book is entitled How Wild Things Are Cooking, Fishing, and Hunting at the Bottom of the World. The author, Annalise Gregory, the chef here live with us. Annalise, what an absolute privilege. Thank you for taking the time and congratulations. The book is is almost indescribably extraordinary. It really is. Oh, thank you so much. And and well deserved. Um would you talk about life in Tasmania, please? I, I think you are with um few creature comforts compared to to what I consider my privileged life, and I very much admire you for it so much. So, um, well, I think my mum told me that she's not going to come visit me again until <laughs> I get vision for internet. <laughs> so yeah, I live in like a hundred and ten year old weatherboard farmhouse in southern Tasmania. It's just started getting really cold. The only heating is wood fires. There's one in every room. I don't have TV. I don't have internet. Um, it's just me. A couple of goats, some geese, and about thirty chickens. And and do you dream about new dishes and sea urchin and and how you forage for mushrooms? What, what will become of them? Because I I wonder how that life of quiet has served you. I think we've all had a bit of a taste of that because of the pandemic in our own individual way. But you, you're proving you're a goddess. You really are. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's true, though. I mean, I, I think there's something very fascinating about the life of a chef who came from hustle bustle and top, chef, uh, top restaurants, rather, in the world, and how you've really looked within and found this piece. And I've read the book cover to cover. Um, you, you've found happiness there. Yeah, I suppose I have. It's very different now. It's like I wake up in the morning and I look out the window and I'm like, oh, okay, it's like awesome and it's raining, which means that if we have sun tomorrow, there'll be mushrooms. Hmm. And then like I drive along the country lanes and I'm like looking for, you know, signs of mushrooms being there. And then if it's nice weather, I'll go and um, go for a dive and collect sea urchin and go get abalone. And then, um, yeah, pretty much most of the things that I eat, I just realized recently someone was talking about some fish that they got or something like that. And I was like, oh, I only really eat fish if I go fishing. Hmm. I don't realize how um, like niche my life has become until sometimes it's you know, served back to me like that. Right. So do you miss the convenience of purchasing a loaf of bread? Uh, I do still go buy bread occasionally. Oh, thank, thank <laughs> gosh. <laughs> I feel so much better. <laughs> I do. No, I, I think that, that you are really this beautiful example of the truest definition of slow food and, and a slow food life, right? And celebrating nature. 
And, and I really would love to better understand, and I know my listeners would too, how that has connected you to food. I, I believe it's made you an, an even more extraordinary chef. Just from, from the dishes and the plates and the recipes you share in how wild things are. I mean, my cooking has kind of changed. It's probably become a little bit less refined and mm. a little bit more rustic, I think. But then it's like, it's based upon ingredients that, I don't know, like are super fresh and that, I don't know, I suppose often maybe hard to access for some people, but for me, kind of easy to access. Like, I just had to buy a freezer, although I hate freezing food, but um, <laughs> because that's how, what you do in the country. Um, and now I opened it the other day and realized that inside there's um, like an entire pig that I raised and then had a home kill and um, heaps of wild rabbits and black pudding that I made. And mm. um, it's all stuff that I've, yeah, like raised or hunted or um, mm. I guess I, I know I appreciate the things a lot more now because they've been so hard won. Well, of course, that's the life lesson here for sure. I can't imagine that making all of your own cheese and charcuterie isn't uh, absolutely, utterly satisfying. It's pretty satisfying. Yes. <laughs> I won't lie. Yeah, <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, there's a beautiful narrative throughout the book, and the photography is stunning. And I, I think it gives all of us a window into what I'm sure many people might fantasize about, the, the freedom um, the the deeper meaning of w- what we do on a daily basis. And the book is as much uh, on how to cook in Annalise Gregory style as it is how to live. W- what do you think is the greatest life lesson you've learned? Or or did you just mention it? And that is a, gr- a greater appreciation for all that we have or, or that we work for. Uh, that, but also um, less in cooking terms and more in life terms. Mm. I mean, I was like, I would fantasize about all of that too when I was doing, you know, 17-hour days in the kitchen somewhere and couldn't really see, like, I was like, do I just do this forever? Is this my life for, like, the full, you know, the foreseeable future? Mm. And couldn't really see a way to still cook, but, you know, in a slightly different way. And I was definitely afraid of making change or, you know, taking a leap. But um, I suppose that's the biggest thing that, you know, if you set your sights on something and you do something small towards it every day and sometimes you just take a leap of faith that I know often it will work out yes well you're teaching all of us a bit of bravery for sure tell us about Tasmania it's one of the places in the world I've never been and it's absolutely stunning um sometimes it feels to me like one of the last great wildernesses Hmm. you can go to places where you drive in for three days um and you know, there's there's no people there. Um, I've been down to Port Davie where you take a small six-seater plane. There's no roads. There's no internet. There's no phone reception. Um, it's a three-day walk out. And I know to be able to go to places like that in the world these days feels so, um, I don't know, special, I suppose, and also just something that you don't you don't often see or get a chance to do because the planet's so heavily populated already. Of course, for sure. Annalise, you are so brave. Such a powerhouse. Will you please stay with us? I don't want to let you go. More with the extraordinary Chef Annalise Gregory right after this.
We're back and we're dishing. Chef Annalise Gregory is here. One of the most extraordinarily fascinating people to read about and to learn from. Her book, How Wild Things Are, celebrates nature and the slow food life on the wild island of Tasmania. It is a glorious story and cookbook. And we're dishing with Annalise. And and for those that might want to visit, there is more cosmopolitan area, yes? Yes. Um, when I was working at Franklin, <laughs> that's in Hobart, which yes. is um, the main city. And um, yeah, there's definitely there's restaurants. Um, there's a really good like wine bar scene and food scene because the produce is so good. Um, mm. Everyone's really friendly. Um, mm. There's a lot of like fishermen and farmers markets and like roadside stalls and things like that. Mm. Um, the East Coast is stunningly beautiful. I call it the cold Bahamas because it's freezing, <laughs> but it's like um, like white sand and crystal clear blue water. Beautiful. Yeah, definitely uh, on my wish list to visit, Annalise. Um, let's cook for a moment, if we could. Th- there's this... Uh, mm-hmm rustic fabulous man that graces the pages of of the book um albeit you you are carrying the kill i'm so very impressed that you are a hunter um a fisher woman a fish a fisherman a forager um but i would give almost anything to sit down like he did with you for sea urchin farinata and (laughs) i would love for you to describe the the flavor of that sea urchin that that you uh, searched for oh um so the sea urchins in tassie i feel like i haven't had better sea urchins only in japan Mm. it must be something about the really cold water that seems to make them they're just like really sweet creamy um like lightly briny uh they're like ridiculous really delicious um so and really um like pretty easy to find actually as well uh, they're more in season over winter, like the row is better. Mm. So, yeah, I um, I just snorkel for them. So I just walk in off the rocks in a very thick wetsuit with a hood and gloves and booties because it's freezing. <laughs> and um, go and get a bag of them and then come out and just um, break them open on the beach because they're also heaps easier to clean in the sea than they are in your home kitchen. Fascinating. I didn't know that. I, I, I wondered, and, and I don't mean to sound ignorant, Annalise, but I'm very fascinated with your story. You talk about booties and gloves and all of those things. I can't imagine Amazon delivers to your front door. No, they don't. <laughs> no I, I figure not. One of the reasons I admire you even more. Um, you share the recipe for the farinata. Uh, it's a, a very simple pancake, right? A, a chickpea-based pancake. And the sea urchin yes. and the the cold creme fraiche and the dill sprigs, which I imagine um, you foraged for. And just this combination of, of the salty, briny, creamy, rich, and then textural cake all together makes my mouth water. Well, the mm. is great on, you just need a carb-based vehicle for it. That's how I see it. Yes. And that can be anything, can be any type of bread. Sometimes if I don't have anything, I use potato chips. <laughs> oh, I love that. Just fabulous. And I literally, I made that on the beach um, on a single burner with a pan, hmm. just of, sitting on the rock. Of course you did. Yes. Um, talk to us about mushrooms. 
Is it one of your favorite things to forage? Because there are beautiful recipes in the book um, you, where you uh, char grill oyster mushrooms and make uh, a seaweed sabayon, right? Yeah. Mm. So one of my favorite things to forage, um, it just autumn in Tasmania happened to coincide with um, lockdown last year and social distancing. And so then I figured to myself that you were allowed, you know, five kilometers from my home, but you weren't really allowed to see anyone. So I went to the forest and just um, spent most of that time just mushrooming. Mm. Um, in the end, I wound up with like 20 kilos worth of wild mushrooms in my house that I had to do things with. But um, <laughs> I just found it to be, if I was indoors, I would um, just constantly watch the news and just obsess over things on my phone. And um, But yeah, outdoors, um, I know it was just a really nice way to spend that time to mm. get back to nature and spend some time outdoors, collect food. Yes. And I know, try to yeah, deal with what was happening in the world. And quite extraordinary to have such a bounty of mushrooms. As we come into the spring season, can you share a couple of ideas? Where, where do you see mushrooms in our dishes, your favorite things to make with them? Yeah, probably. Like I made a lot of um, flatbreads with just fried wild mushrooms on them and mm. then sometimes like a fried egg or a poached egg as well. Also mm. like a like the chickpea farinata with the sea urchin. Yes. Use the chickpea pancake base and then just um, cover it with cover it with fried mushrooms. Mm. things like that um i have a lot of chicken so like last autumn i spent a lot of time just um eating any and every variation of egg and mushrooms together but it wasn't a bad time no not at all i can't imagine the the photos of the eggs in the book make me crave farm fresh eggs like that i know the flavor from uh you know experiences i've had in travel where you literally go and get the egg from the chicken and cook it and there's nothing like it no it's, um the eggs are amazing i don't like buying eggs or using other people's eggs anymore so no i, I have my own because i can't imagine yeah. of course <laughs> <laughs> i could be biased but i think they're heaps better <laughs> yeah, definitely so. Um, and then you talk about growing up in a um, a family that celebrated trout season. And I can't wait to try and duplicate your brown sugar cured hot smoked trout. Um, yeah, we would go to Lake Taupo every year, which is um, in the middle of the North Island of New Zealand and go trout fishing. And then um, at some stage, I just became the cooker of the trout. I don't know when. <laughs> and um would smoke out a lot of, like, really little motel units trying to, like, smoke trout <laughs> in their ovens. But um, had, you know, varying levels of success. And then ever since I was about 12 or 13, it's just been something that I do. Just amazing. Absolutely. Um, I, I love the idea that you're um, smoking for preservation as well as for uh, heightened flavor. Yes. Yes, exactly. Like, we'll eat them straight away, but then also it would mean that whatever, like, my family had caught, we could then take back to Auckland with us. Hmm. Fabulous. Um, what, what is next for you? Do you plan to stay? Can you, can you disclose? Um, do you plan to stay in Tasmania and, and continue to live this life? Are there projects on the horizon? I think the, the world wants to hear your story. Um, yeah, I feel like I've kind of... Um you know, put down a few roots in Tasmania now. I mean, I bought a house, so... <laughs> Those are roots. And it, needs, and it needs a lot of renovations. It's going to be a long-term project. Um, so I'm toying with the idea of opening a 10-seater lunch-only restaurant in one of my sheds. Ah, wow. At my, at my house. Oh. Oh, my. Okay, I'm, I'm booking my travel now, Annalise. <laughs> what, what an experience that will be. And are there more books on the horizon? I know... 
um, that you have so much to share? Uh, There's no more books yet, but I would do another one. I really enjoyed the process of doing this one, actually, and it's turned out something um, really beautiful and interesting, Mm. um, way more than I could ever have imagined. Uh, So, yes, I would do another one, and I'm halfway through shooting a television series about (laughs) cooking in Tasmania. Oh, how fabulous. We cannot wait to watch. Absolutely. Um, I cannot wait to make the confit lamb ribs with the date syrup and toasted spices. The pickled mussels and octopus excites me. Um, your potato galette. These dishes are, are not only uh, beautiful, um, but inspiring, no doubt. And um, the book is a, a, a glorious story. It, it is page after page, a, a testament to your bravery, uh, to your talent and to your passion. Um, so kudos to you. You should be very, very proud. And I can't tell you how very lucky I feel to be able uh, to share what you do and what you love and your story on the radio. The book is entitled How Wild Things Are, a number one bestseller on Amazon, of course. There are even greater things to come for Annalise Gregory. The book celebrates nature, the slow food life uh, on the wild island of Tasmania, uh, where Annalise uh, took the plunge, no doubt, after pushing through years of high-stress cooking in high-end restaurants. She is now hunting and fishing and foraging, and it is one woman's adventure at the bottom of the world. And if you want to dig deeper into a very true, honest, passionate culinary life, this is a must-read. Annalise, I very much admire uh, your incredible bravery. I meant goddess when I said it, and I can't thank you enough for spending a little time with us uh, and for sharing the book. We will follow your adventures. Look for the show. Uh, I will plan my trip to come dine in one of your sheds. Uh, I couldn't wait to do that (laughs) for sure. Um, But we'll follow on social at Annalise Gregory, of course, um, and look for more great things to come. Please stay, stay safe and well, and thank you again. Oh, thank you. Yeah, what an absolute privilege. Uh, when, when I say uh, one of the most talked about young chefs uh, today, I, I, I mean it. Um, this is a blueprint, this book, on how to live as much as it is how to cook. Uh, please check it out. Annalise Gregory and the book, How Wild Things Are. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. There's more fabulous food right after this. have a taste for life well then this is your show welcome back chef jamie gwen in your radio tofu is one of the most versatile protein foods in the world and if you are in search of wonderful ways to prepare meatless lunches or delectable plant-based dinners well let's talk tofu shall we 
journalist and photographer and an extraordinarily talented one at that, Camille Auger is a tofu aficionado. While her native France is not keen on the virtues of tofu, Camille's extensive travels in Asia inspired her to find a deep appreciation for the delicacy. So we're savoring tofu in all of its complex forms and beautiful preparations as we cook from Camille's just released very marvelous manual entitled The Complete Tofu Cookbook, available now on Amazon for tofu lovers and those looking to embrace the beauty of a meatless meal with this perfect protein. Joining us live from France is author, journalist, and uh, I, I will say just an, an extraordinarily beautiful talent, uh, itinerant as well, Camille Auger. Camille, I'm so glad to have you. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Ah oui, bonjour. Uh, the, book, bonjour. the book is so artsy, Camille, just to start. I mean, I think it v- so beautifully represents all the wonderful creativity that you share, um, and I love how you speak about tofu. This is, from what I understand in the introduction, the most comprehensive guide on tofu that has been written in uh, many, many years, I think we should say. Um, and you speak about tofu as a blank page, right? Uh, share, exactly. your, share your love for it, please. Um, you hear a lot, uh, especially in France, I guess it's the same in the U.S., that uh, tofu is blonde. And it's yes. boring and tasteless, and it's actually seeing it as a, in, an inconvenience. But tofu is actually, uh, like you said, very versatile because it's bland. If you take the the uh, basic term tofu, which is white and it comes in a block, doesn't look like anything special. You can do anything with it because it's blonde. You can use it in savory food, in savory uh, dishes, in, in desserts. You can uh, you can change the texture by uh, blending it or, or grinding it or slicing it. You, you can do whatever you want with it, and that's what I find really interesting. And we are uh, we lack a little bit of imagination when it comes to tofu in. Uh, in Europe and I guess in the USA too, uh, but in Asia, they they use it uh, in ways we would never think of, and and that's what I found really really interesting. So you know, in the yes. U.S., Camille, that we are big on what we call protein style, right? So if mm-hmm. you have a, a hamburger here and you don't want the bun, you have yeah. it wrapped in lettuce, and we call that mm-hmm. protein style. But I never thought to make a pouch of tofu to stuff with like everything that you would put in a spring roll or what else do you stuff with it? That's fabulous. Uh, you can, uh, the, the recipe that I love is from Korea yes. and they use tofu pouches. They marinate them in a uh, sweet and salty sauce and mm. then they, they stuff it with rice mixed with sesame oil and vegetables and sesame seeds and that so good. That's amazing. It's really oh, easy to eat. Fabulous. You make little pouches. It looks so cute. Oh. It's amazing. 
I love that. Okay, um, speaking of Korea, you have traveled extensively through Asia, and each of the Asian countries uses tofu in a different way. So you touched on Korea and the pouch. In, in China and Taiwan, which is the birthplace of tofu, right? In China. Yeah. What is the most common uh, method or technique to use tofu, or your favorite for that matter? There are so many recipes from the book, I can't wait to try. Yes. Uh, in, in China and in Taiwan, it's, it's a bit crazy because it really changes your view on tofu because that blonde block doesn't really fit in the description you know yes. it's you know you can find the typical uh white block but you also have crazy tofu like hairy tofu with hairs growing on it it's just mold and it's fermented so it's it has a really strong taste it's mm-hmm. a bit like french cheese yes. uh it has a smell <laughs> it's yes. really strange uh-huh. but i love it huh. Um, they also, uh, in, in night markets in Taiwan, the only thing you can smell from, I don't know, 10 meters uh, away is, is that uh, stinky tofu, they call it. Yes. So it's, it's a soup made from fermented tofu, pig stripes, huh. goose blood, huh. and, and fish sauce. It's so smelly. It's <laughs> terrible, but it tastes amazing. <laughs> The brilliance of tofu. You've highlighted it uh, so beautifully. So kudos to you. Amazon top rated, once again, just released from Camille Auger, the complete tofu cookbook, embracing plant-based recipes from around the world and highlighting the beauty of tofu. Camille, as you create more and more recipes, will you come back? Uh, I loved talking with you. Thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you so much. I'm very glad I was uh, yes, thank you so much Merci for, for having me. You stay well, and uh, we'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary discovery. I hope that if food is your fetish, I supplied the tools, and that you will tune in next weekend as the delicious conversation continues. Before I go, I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic conversation for the hour. This is a recipe I love. I call it can't wait bread pudding. The name is almost as good as the taste. So here's what you do. And by the way, I will post it um, with full photos on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please check it out. This can't wait bread pudding is made in a mug in the microwave. You take a couple of slices of brioche and you spread with Nutella to make a sandwich. Then you cut it into cubes, drop them into a mug and simply beat an egg with a little bit of heavy cream. Mix it together, pour it over, pinch of salt, maybe touch of vanilla and microwave three minutes. Can't wait? Oh, good. Bread pudding. Oh, yes. Once again, posted with the recipe and the method at Chef Jamie Gwen. And until next weekend, when I meet you here for more fabulous food, please stay healthy and safe. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. (laughs) 